directly streaming live since. Good afternoon or good morning, everyone. Um, it's been a while, but we're going to try to finish up Living in Babylon, and, and I'll be talking about Taking the Limits Off of God uh, by Dr. James Richards. Uh, we're going to condense a couple of uh, the last part of his book, and I want to go through that, and I want you to understand that uh, what we're looking at here is we're trying to set a foundation for what can we do as believers in the environment that we find ourselves in, a very uncomfortable environment, so to speak. So that's the picture of the book. I highly suggest that you get it. It's one of the best books I've, I've read about this subject. So uh, one of the first things he talks about is the commitment to lordship. Um, most new Christians are taught to call upon Jesus for salvation, but they lack the commitment to his lordship because the concept of lordship was not adequately explained to them. Uh, they were taught fire insurance with no power. Now, in my case, when I got saved as a young man, I was in a what we will call a controlled disciplinary environment. And uh, we had a loudmouth Baptist preacher that came and, and taught a uh, turn or burn sermon. And so rather than, than uh, burn, I turned. I mean, I had nothing, I knew nothing about God's love or anything, but it was fire insurance. That's why I got saved. Uh, and so the concept of lordship, and at that time, Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, came out, and everybody was rapture conscious. Let's rapture and get out of here, and you know we'll let somebody else have all the problems. But that's obviously not what God meant. Now, uh, many people and demons know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but that knowledge alone is not sufficient for salvation. There must be a commitment to His Lordship. So we've got to make a commitment that we're going to do what He says, we're going to listen to Him, we're going to work with Him, and understand He's not, he's not a heavy-handed. Uh, he will work with you in areas that you struggle with. Uh, nowhere in the New Testament is salvation promised apart from lordship. It doesn't happen. There's no situation from either Paul, Peter, or any of, the, any of them where salvation is promised outside the lordship of Christ. Now, salvation is what comes from making Jesus Lord. We know what salvation is. Uh, some people teach we must confess our sins in order to be saved, but the Bible says that we are to confess Jesus as Lord in order to be saved. It's not the same thing. And you've heard the sinner's prayer, Oh Lord, forgive me for these sins. That's not what it says to get saved. Go to Romans 10. Do you believe Jesus was Lord and died and rose from the dead? You do that, you've got your bases covered. Now, as we move on, if salvation is contingent upon making Jesus Lord, it's the obligation of the new believer to find out what God has called them to do and then go do it. That's the key. Uh, after all the studies we get done, if you, can't, if you don't know what you're called to do, then you can't go do it, and then you're going to be fumbling around. You're not going to be very effective. <coughs> Pardon me. What is the salvation of the Lord? The Greek word sozo for salvation involves much more than just you know, being born again. 
Sozo's defined in Strong's Concordance as to deliver or protect, heal, preserve, save, do well, and behold. Okay? Now, to deliver, to protect, to heal, preserve, save, do well, and behold. Now we look at the next one. Thayer's lexicon expands the definition to include to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to make well, restored to health, to deliver from the penalties of messianic judgment. Now, the thing I like about this word sozo, and especially down where Thayer says it, he says, to make well or restored to health. That's part of our plan of salvation. That's what sozo means. That's our benefit. We need to walk in it. Now, that's part of what we're trying to learn here. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 121 says, and she, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall sozo his people from their sins. He shall sozo his people from their sins. So, when you get saved from your sins, like, like Jesus in Mark 2, and they lowered the guy down through the roof, he gets lowered in, they said, your sins are forgiven. Well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or pick up your pallet? Well, that's easy. So Jesus solved that problem right there. He sozoed the guy that was on the pallet. <clears throat> in Matthew 9.22, says, But Jesus turned him about, and when he turned him about, and when he saw him, he said, when he saw her, pardon me, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee sozo. And the whole woman was made sozo from that whole hour. Okay, sozo. We need to learn that word and walk in it. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark 6.56 And wheresoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid their sick in the streets and besought him that he might touch it if it were the, made of the border of his garment and as many as touched him were made sozo. Were made sozo. They were made whole. We understand that Jesus died to set us free from sin. Therefore, we are obligated to receive every aspect of his salvation. If Jesus is really our Lord, do we have the option of refusing the abundant life? Not if we want to be successful. And I think we do, or you wouldn't be you wouldn't be studying the Bible, you wouldn't be working uh, to understand the Lord, hearing, praying, and so forth. You want to be successful, well we have to accept the entire package, not just the religious part of the package. Okay. Now, you must actively pursue God's promises, not out of greed or even need, but because Jesus is Lord. You must actively pursue God's promises. Now, that's an interesting, interesting concept, and I want you to keep that in mind. Salvation is more than, it, than a ticket to heaven. It is the sum of what Jesus died to give us, the full abundant life. So that's, Jesus gave us a whole package. It's not getting saved and getting out of here to go to heaven. That's part of it, but that's the ending part of it. 
Um, you realize that the shortest time you'll ever spend anywhere is here on earth. And um, I was talking to a friend the other day. Uh, he, he and his wife were married 49 years. Um, he has cerebral, uh, not cerebral palsy, he has uh, muscular dystrophy. And um, they gave him two or three years to live with that. And then they, when they were doing some tests, they found out he has pancreatic cancer. And so uh, I talked to his wife, and one of the things she said was, she says, 49 years is a long time. It's not a long time. My wife and I have been married 45 years. That's just a pittance. If we live to be 100, that's almost half of our life. And when the time, by the time, uh, well, let's see, there's another 15 years, 60 years. That's just not a long time. So we've got to think about that. What is the sum of what Jesus gave us abundant life for while we're here now? We need to, <coughs> pardon me, we need to see God as He is. Galatians 6, 7, and I read this from the New American Standard Update, 2020 Update. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows. This will he also reap. Now, that seems, that, that, that seems uh, obvious, but it, we, don't, we don't act like it's obvious. We, we act like it's something that happens to somebody else. Um, if you would refer to, to Matthew 12, 37... 35, 36, 37, and there Jesus says, uh, you will be held accountable for every idle, inoperative word, as the Amplified puts it, that you say, and you'll be judged for them. So do we act like that? Do, do we really believe that? I know I struggle. Um, I struggle mightily to keep my mouth shut. And James says that you can't do it. I can't control it. Well, I need to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do that. So a lot of the times the, the words, and I was, I was talking to uh, John earlier about foretelling, about prophetic foretelling. You have to watch what your words say because it will work in both ways. You know, um, oh, I'm afraid the next time they have a layoff, I'll lose my job first. Uh, you know, just as soon as I get a bonus, my car is going to go out. On and on and on you think, well, those things aren't important. Well, yeah, they are. They're idle and they're inoperative. They're not good words. So that's something that we'll we'll touch on. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the fruits of sowing is the way we view God. We tend to see God in one of the lights of our own actions. We tend to see Him in the light of our own actions. For example, the less giving we do, the harder it is to see God as generous. So uh, we tend to view through our own our own lenses what it is that God's about, what it is that we should be doing, what He's doing, and so forth. Um, we must begin by seeing God as He really is, not as we hope to Him to be. As an individual, we must meet God for ourselves through prayer and the Word. It, the interesting part of that, <coughs> excuse me, the interesting part of that um, is meeting God on our own level. Um, 
I look at other people and, and think, oh man, you know, I wish I was that guy or this guy or that guy's got a great relationship with God. Well, God wants to have a, a strong relationship with you based on who you are, not on what brother so-and-so or sister Susie was or anything like that. He wants it based on you. And I have found uh, through Jeremiah and uh, Psalms and other things that God created me exactly the way He wanted me to be. Now, I've had a lot of experiences that have, you know, ruined that image, so to speak. But the point is that God created me to be me. He's got my, you know, my sense of humor, which my wife says is an accumulated taste, an acquired taste. She says you have to be around him for 40 years before you really understand him. And um, uh, I, she said people that laugh at his jokes right away are just as bad as him. But anyway, that's another story. So, But God meets us that way. He's not upset with us because we're not like so-and-so. We are the way we're supposed to be. That's why it's so critical that we find out what we're called to do and we go do it. Uh, we're going to have a whole... We're going to have an entire session on that uh, coming up about hearing God in the desert. And we'll we go over that later. Now... We must not read the Bible looking for do's and don'ts, but we are reading the Bible to have an encounter with God Himself. We are learning and growing in our relationship with a person, not a legal system. This has been a problem. This was a problem for me because I'm a history nut and I love reading about history. So when I read the Bible, I tended to be looking for systems and look for patterns and so forth. And and one of the things that the Lord has had to break me of is I would read the the epistles and what's supposed to be good news when I read it I would see another list of things I'm not doing that happened in Ephesians uh, and Colossians and um, I was in a class recently by one of the best teachers I've ever sat under and she brought up some of these scriptures and everybody there's like six people in the room the other five people said, these are great scriptures. And I said, well, the first inclination I have is that it's just another list of things I'm not doing. And nobody else thought like that. But that's part of why Romans says you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's interesting that the word transformed is where we get metamorphosis from. And metamorphosis is a planned event, but it takes time. So uh, I'm not there yet. Um, maybe another week or two and I'll be there, but right now I'm not there, so we'll see. As you work out your salvation, remember that you are a new covenant believer and you cannot relate to God through works righteousness. The only thing from the Old Testament that belongs to you are the promises of God. Now, I found a lot of people struggle with Old Testament and New Testament. Part of what, uh, when as we work through the next Babylon section, digital Babylon, living in, in digital Babylon, as we start to work through that, one of the things that the Lord really quickened to me was people cannot connect the Old Testament to the New Testament very well. They just don't, they, they, they there's a break there and, and they, they, they don't get it. And um, so I asked, the, I asked the Lord specifically to give me a, an analogy. 
And, uh, and he did. And it was pro football. And he said, basically, if I look at the games uh, that I loved in the 60s and 70s, um, with the old American Football League and the National Football League and the, and the Oakland Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs and the Jets from back then, if you watch some of their games, they're brutal. Uh, and they're, but it's still football. It's still six points for a touchdown, a point after, and a field goal. It's still the same thing. But if you look at today's game, uh, if they tried to play by the rules of the 60s and 70s, they'd be thrown out of the game. They wouldn't even get through one quarter because the rules have changed. But it's the same game. It's pro football. The rules have changed. Well, that's the way it is. God's the same. Hebrews says he's, he doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. God, we're still in the same operating under God. He's just got different rules for the second half. So if you remember that, it's the same game. God's working, but the, the, the rules for the Old Testament are different than the rules now. Now, there's some things that still carry over. Offsides is still offsides. Um, pass interference is still pass interference. But... There's other things now like targeting and other things that are here now that definitely weren't there in, in, earlier. So we want to look at that and you, you want to understand as you read the Old Testament, some of those things don't apply anymore. Some of them do and, and figuring out how that works is one of the things that we want to get accomplished. I, I hope that makes sense. You must have an absolute grasp of the fact that Christ set us free from all of the curses of the law, all of the curses of the law, uh, Colossians three thirteen. In fact, I want to I want to I want to read that. Colossians three thirteen is very clear. Colossians three. Uh, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, I got the wrong. I got the. I don't have it marked right. Um, maybe it was Galatians. Colossians has some good stuff in it, but it's not if it's if I'm looking for Galatians, which I was. I meant Galatians three. So, but I tell you this, I can recommend Colossians. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Galatians three thirteen says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, as a quick example of that, Deuteronomy 28 should be one of the scriptures that you open up to your Bible and the Old Testament should fall right to it. Not, I imagine that your Bible doesn't fall open to Obadiah or Nahum or Jonah, but it should open up in the Old Testament to Genesis and it should open up in Deuteronomy 28, which lists the curse of the law and the blessings of the law. This is one of the rules from the Old Testament that applies today. Now, it says if you follow God's Word. Well, God's got different words today, but the principle is the same. you still got to do what He says. In the Old Testament, He said to do something different than He says to do in the New Testament. And the, 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 the foul things that are going on are a, quickly a result of, what, of breaking with what God said to do. That's, that's His basic thing. Um, you could read from 
the, the, from verse 15 to the end of the chapter and see how many of those things are going on today, from child trafficking to uh, lousy politics to everything instead, and their diseases, coronavirus, AIDS, all that. It's all in there. And that's part of the rules of the game that, that we haven't followed very well. Now, Galatians 3.13, we just talked about that. He became a curse for us. When Jesus died on the cross, He became sin. He didn't sin, but He became sin for us. And He absorbed the, the curses of the law. That's, it's incomprehensible to us. I, I'm telling you, we, can't, we cannot get our arms around what He did when that happened. And um, uh, so his, his ability to absorb that punishment for us releases us to walk in newness. It says that he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, the, uh, of light. So anyway, be aware of that, that that's where we stand. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not destined for wrath here or in the next life. Either one. There's really no next life. We, we are living Zoe now. It's just that we're in a different suit in a different location than what we will be later. Anyway. Every wrong thing you've ever done and every wrong thing you will ever do is covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus took the punishment so you would not have to take it. Now, um, you know, I've got people, and, and I speak for myself, um, I've got situations where I struggle with things that I did in the past. They just, sometimes it's like the enemy has them on a clipboard and he just goes, hey, look, look here, you know, remind me of that. And I bite. And I fall into the trap sometimes of just molly grubbing along with him rather than understanding that when Jesus died on the cross, I hadn't committed any sins yet. I wasn't even here. I can tell you, I wasn't here. So how could my sins have been forgiven if I wasn't even here? Well, that's the magic of the cross. That's what he did. That's the beauty of the cross. Not magic, but... That's the beauty of the cross. Now, if we go on from there, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who, who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf that we might become the righteousness of Him. We're righteous now. You may not feel like it, but that doesn't matter. You are what God said you are. Now, in James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Jesus was very clear. Do not be deceived, my brothers, and sisters, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Remember the pro football. Even though we're not playing by the rules of the 60s and 70s, it's still pro football. Okay, And we've got to understand uh, that he doesn't change. Now, every good thing comes from God. Now, this is, this is another part... This has to be a reoccurring theme on there. Uh, and I want you to listen to this as we close out today's uh, session. 
When something bad befalls an unbeliever, much of the church world calls it God's judgment. But if something bad befalls a righteous man, uh, Jesus warned us not to make that error. It's a good God. He's a good God. So, uh, a lot of times they will tell you uh, if something bad happens, that's the judgment of God. And if something bad happens to a Christian, they say that's God's sovereignty. And um, uh, we could talk a long time about God's sovereignty and probably not agree on exactly what it means. But I think from my perspective, God is certainly sovereign. You can't read about what He does and not think He's sovereign. Will He get things done the way He does? Yeah, He will. But He doesn't force His way into your life. And a lot of the things that uh, that He does, He doesn't get credit for. And a lot of the things that, that Satan does, God gets blamed for. That's one of the problems that, we, that we'll talk about. When something bad befalls an unbeliever, the church world calls it judgment. And when something bad befalls a righteous man, it's called God's sovereignty. That's not Just remember that that's the way it goes. That's not necessarily true, but that's what you'll hear from religious people. It is the devil who brings sickness, poverty, and bondage and tries to get us to blame God for it. That's what he does. That's where we, 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 we run into issues. The most cunning thing the devil does is not to steal, kill, and destroy. It's to steal, kill, and destroy and convince us that God did it. Okay? Okay. Uh, Little boy gets backed up. Uh, Dad backs out of the driveway and runs over his four-year-old son and kills him, which that has happened. Uh, of course, Dad's devastated. Well, what does the enemy say? Well, that was God that they needed another little angel to plant in heaven or some religious garbage like that. Uh, you know, uh, that's not God did that. It was the enemy that did that. And the thing is, we live in a I don't want to get off target here, but I will. Um, we live in a world where spiritual conflict, whether you like it or not, we're there. And our whole world is a spiritual conflict. It's all the time we're in spiritual conflict. And bad things do happen. We don't get, we, we don't get everything corrected here in this world. Just remember that. Uh, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Now, what does the lost mean? 1 John 3.8, Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now, you go to Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, and you find out, that the sower sows the word, and it's Satan that comes to steal the word. It's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. He's not trying to teach you something. Satan's coming to try to destroy you. Uh, we've talked about this before, but it's interesting. In the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, there's four kinds of soil, uh, and three of them don't get it. So what the Lord's saying you go into church and there's a hundred people in there and the guy's preaching the word, only only 25 of them are going to get it as a rule. Your church may be a little better, may be a little worse, but three out of four people don't get, they let the enemy steal from them. Important point, anyway. The word for lost is a poly, uh, uh, I can't get say it right, a polymuai, or polyumi. It means to destroy, destroy utterly, 
Uh, it's a verb. This transliteration means definition to destroy, destroy utterly, to destroy, uh, to lose. Uh, he says, I'm perishing as a result in death being viewed as certain. In other words, when Jesus said in Luke 19.10, lost, he means utterly destroyed. He came to save us from that. Uh, Acts 10.38, the Lord said how God was anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power, how he went about doing good and curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. God was with him. Now, John 14.12 Verily, I say, very, verily and truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do. In fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. John 20, 21, Jesus tells us that we are sent just as the Father sent him. So what are we sent to do? Destroy the works of the devil. When we believe God's promises, we act on that belief. We do not act expecting to earn promises because Jesus did not put conditions on people. He just healed them. So I want to close with that for today. We'll pick up on the, on the last part of the book uh, next time we get together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that, that presenting your word would honor you and would help people understand that you're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. He's the one trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And I pray, Father, right now for our families, our country, our marriages, our wives, our daughters, our sons, that they honor you and we can give them food that will feed them spiritually in Jesus' name. Amen.